Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Typically people that live like that are stressed out. If your life looks like, man, it all depends on me. God's not in your equation. You're going to be someone that's just worn out, stressed out, beat down. Um, Not that if you trust the Lord, you won't work hard. Uh, I believe that people that trust God work hard too. But it's God, I trust you. I trust you enough that if you say don't work the land for a year, then we won't work the land for that year. Uh, We will trust you with how that all works out. No more than any other time in history, there's seemingly no end to all the things that can keep you busy. You can spend your entire life hustling to put in more time at work, to keep in touch with the people in your life, and letting the constant distractions that are everywhere take your mind off God. Pastor Bill is going to take you to Leviticus today to show you God's command to Israel to take an entire year off farming for rest, which is critical today to keep you from getting worn down by everything in life. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Leviticus chapter 25 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. All right, Leviticus chapter 25, and we're going to start at verse 1. In the section that we're looking at, we're only going to cover the first 31 verses, I think, but I don't know. We'll see how far we get. Um, God is coming to a close, coming to the end of this book, and God has given them some instructions, some things to do. The areas that God deals with, and we're going to look at, God's going to deal with the land. He's going to deal with the people. He's going to deal with where he's guiding the people of Israel. And I just saw this trend, and you can kind of see it throughout Scripture. Um, where there's always, you see these three items. You see God, you see his people, and you see the land. That's what we see in the Old Testament. There's God, there's his people, there's the land. The land that they're in, the land that they've been promised, the land that they're heading over to, the land that they're being driven out from. Um, God had a place for his people. And um, another way it could be worded, divinity, identity, and destiny. My relationship with God, who I believe God to be, will have a lot to do with how I live my life. It'll also impact my identity. Who my God is, it'll determine whose people I am, how I live my life, um, who I associate myself with. And it has everything to do with my destiny. Where am I headed? Where am I going? It'll all draw back to who's my God. If the Lord is my God, it'll determine where I go, who I go with, and where I end up. If he's not my God, that'll have a lot to do with who I go with, where I go, and where I end up just the same. And so what we see with Israel and something I thought was interesting, even in, in this chapter here, God has given them instruction as though they're in the land, but they're not in the land yet. They, God's telling them how to get to the land. He's got people stationed to lead them into the land, but they're not even in the land yet. Open up your Bible to, to Leviticus 25 and start reading. You would believe the people were in the land, the way that God is instructing them and speaking to them. And this is something I just pondered and considered as I looked at that, that God always knows where we're going to end up at. And God many times speaks to us, not based on where we are right now, but God knows where we're going to end up. God knows the end result. And so even now as believers, as we walk with the Lord, God sees the finished product. Uh, We don't see that. I see you for what you are. You see me for what I am. We're not looking at the finished product, but God sees us already finished product. And he treats us as such. And he ministers to us as such. And so I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 all together. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. 
Six years you shall sow your field. Six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. What grows of its own accord of your harvest you shall not reap, nor gather the grapes of your unintended vine, for it is a year of rest for the Lord. And the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you, for your male and female servants, your hired man and the stranger who dwells with you, for your livestock and the beasts that are in your land, all its produce shall be for food. So previously we've seen that God called Israel to observe a Sabbath rest for themselves. It takes us back to Genesis. The activity of creation, God did in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And as God established his law with the children of Israel, he told them that you're to work for six days, and on the seventh day, you're to rest. And now he's telling them with the land, he said, I want you to work the ground for seven years straight. Work it. You can till it. You can plow it. You can sow it. You can harvest it. But in the seventh year, you need to let the land rest. And, you know, as you look at each instance, what's God trying to teach them? What's the purpose? What's the point? In a real natural sense, um, the children of Israel, this is before, you know, some of the advances in technology and agriculture. Now they practice this. Those that do harvest, you know, food and stuff like that, they rotate crops because the nutrients can just kind of get sucked out of the ground. And so they rotate crops around so that an area gets rest while another area is being harvested. And so there's wisdom in what God said, but there's more to it than just the natural benefit of the ground producing. God is teaching his people to trust in him. God tells a person work for six days and then rest on the seventh. Um, you might be looking at your budget saying, oh, I need to work that seventh day. Um, that my ends ain't meeting. I need one more day to, to, to kind of bring it all together. And at that point, there's a level of trust and obedience. Do I trust that the Lord will sustain me? Do I trust that the Lord is the one providing for all my needs? Um, if I do, then I can obey the command and say, you know what? God said rest on the seventh day. I rest. Same thing with the land. God said you work the land for six years straight. But on the seventh year, you give the land rest. If I don't trust the Lord, I get to that seventh year and say, how are we going to make it? I mean, all year, 12 months, we just going to let the land sit there. Um, they were to observe. They were to obey. They were to trust the Lord. And God gives instruction later as to, you know, how he was going to take care of them and what he was going to do. But I do believe that the principle here is God is saying, I want you guys to trust me. And I believe it'll work out like this. If a human being believes that everything they have comes from them. My hard work, my you know education, me, my, if everything you have comes from you, then you're never gonna be able to rest because you're gonna always have to keep going and keep it going. But if you believe that whatever you have come from the Lord, then when God says, hey, stop, chill out for a day, stop. If you stop for me, you can stop. You can say, okay, I didn't build this. I didn't create this. I didn't do this. It's trust in the Lord. So I would ask us all, in our own lives to consider where we're at. Do we trust God with all of who we are, all of what we have? Do we trust him? Do we know that he's taking care of us? Do we believe that he's the one that's looking out, that's taking care? Or do you live your life as though it all depends on you? And typically people that live like that are stressed out. 
if your life looks like, man, it all depends on me. God's not in your equation. You're going to be someone that's just worn out, stressed out, beat down. Um, not that if you trust the Lord, you won't work hard. Uh, I believe that people that trust God work hard too. But it's God, I trust you. I trust you enough that if you say don't work the land for a year, then we won't work the land for that year. Uh, we will trust you with how that all works out. And so a few things, if you're writing notes, um, I'd like you to write down uh, just a few verses that remind us of how that what we have comes from the Lord. If you're writing notes, write down James chapter one, verse 17. James 1.17 says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there's no variation, a shadow of turning. And so every good gift, every perfect gift that comes down from the Lord. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8 verse 18 says this. If you write notes, Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18. I'll read 17 and 18. I'll start at 16. God speaking said, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know that he might humble you, that he might test you to do good in the end, just rehearsing what God had done for them. Then you say in your heart, my power and by the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And so God was telling Israel, he says, I don't want you guys to get to a place where you start looking at all I did for you. And you say in your heart one day, I did this myself. I got here on my own. In verse 18, it says, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And one thing God didn't want Israel because he was blessing them, but he didn't want them to become prideful and believe that they were somehow responsible for it. And so wherever you may be, whatever you may have, however God has blessed you, we need to be careful to glorify him. We need to be careful to be thankful. And we want to also be obedient. Um, we don't want to take what God's blessed us with and then somehow begin to live like we did it on our own. We want to be humble with it. And so, again, God gives them the order to give the land a Sabbath rest. Now, Israel did not obey this command. Anybody know how many years did they disobey this command for? 490 years. Um, 400. And so. I mean, just think about this for a minute. God is telling them, guys, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bless you. Obey me. The way things work between me and you is you obey, I bless. That's how it works. That's how our relationship is going to go. You do what I tell you to do. I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. You obey, I bless. We're going to have a great relationship. That's what God set forth for the children of Israel. And, you know, I get blown away. I read it. I'm like, they didn't just take a year. It wasn't like they did it once and said, it's the seventh year, but things have been really slow. And so we messed up last year, but we're not going to do it again. They did this for 490 years straight. Just jacked the Lord. Just didn't do what God said do. And so it's interesting because when they were taken away captive by Babylon, the years that they robbed God, that ended up setting the time frame for how long they were going to be in captivity. God said, my land is going to get rest. I'm going to have the enemies of God come snatch you up out of your land, take you out of it. And you guys are going to be out of the land. You owe me 70 Sabbaths. And they were in captivity for seven years for not obeying what God told them to do here. And so I read this and I'm not down on the children of Israel because they're just like you and me. So we got to be careful. You read your Bible and say, but I'm children of Israel was rebellious, boy. That's you. That's me. Rebellious. You know, um, things that God has said, I want you to do it like this. And we haven't been consistently doing it like that. You know, let the Holy Spirit tell you. I'm not going to even suggest things to you. 
But if you know there's areas of your life, your Christian walk that God is, I want you to do this. And I want you to know that God gave them things that he wanted to be, this is to be a regular thing for you guys. A regular thing, a regular every week, a rest. Every seventh year, a Sabbath to the land. It was to be regular intervals of these things. God wanted there to be some consistency to their obedience. There are things that as New Testament Christians, God says, I want you guys to do this regularly. I want you to be in fellowship on a regular basis. We need to have a regularity in our prayer life. There needs to be a devotional life with us. We should be a witness and a light. This is just part of who we are as believers. Not we're under a curse if we don't, not that there's some command, but that this is what the Lord wants. This is what he desires of us as a pattern. And there may be things that you would look at and say, you know, there's patterns in my life that I'm not really keeping with. Um, things that I know God says, but I don't do them. And if you're aware of areas like that in your life, you want to repent because it's for them. God said, this is my blessing, right? God's gracious and he gives us what we don't deserve. But if you want to live your life in a way where I want to be blessable, I want my life to be pleasing to you. I want to be right in your sight. And I definitely don't want to be cruising for a bruise. I want to be living my life in such a way where I got spankings on the way. Then I don't want to be living in ongoing rebellion and disobedience like that's what they did here. 490 years, they did not observe what God had said. And so I'm blown away because as you look over those 490 years, you still see that God didn't give up on them. God didn't turn back as far as his love for them and his pursuing them and his going after them. And when they would repent, the Lord would receive their repentance. I learned more about God as I watched people be disobedient to him. It teaches me about him. It shows me how gracious, how merciful, how God is long suffering. But also see what it costs to be disobedient. Um, they lost a lot in these years that they didn't do things the way that God wanted. So again, why do they have to give the lamb rest? I believe one of the things is God wanted them to trust him. And again, the other thing was it was given the land rest. The land would be more fruitful later. We're going to see that what God promised to do was in that sixth year. So the year before they had to take a year off, God was going to bless them. They were going to have enough for them to live in that time. It wasn't like they were going to go hungry or go without. God was going to provide even for that. And so there's so much more, but I'll leave that at that. You know, God was going to take care of whatever the year that they didn't harvest the land, they were going to get to rest. The land was going to get to rest. And then as we come next to the year of Jubilee, we're going to see that they also were going to get to have a time off of work. But let's look at the next section here. Look at verse eight. It says, and you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years. And the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you 49 years. Then you shall cause the trumpet of Jubilee to sound on the 10th day of the seventh month on the day of atonement. You shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. And each of you shall return to his possession and each of you shall return to his family. That 50th year shall be a jubilee to you. In it, you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it is the jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat its produce from the field. It is the year of jubilee. Each of you shall return to its possession. And if you sell anything of your neighbors or buy from your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. 
verse 17, then we'll go back. According to the number of years after the Jubilee, you shall buy from your neighbor. And according to the number of years of crops, he shall sell to you. According to the multitude of years, you shall increase its price. And according to the fewer number of years, you shall diminish its price. For he sells to you according to the numbers of the years of the crops. Therefore, you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord, your God. So let's go to this now. It's the year. They're given a rule now for something called a year of Jubilee. Now it's a 50 year thing. So there's seven times of seven years, which, you know, brings you to 49. And on that 50th year, they were to celebrate something here called Jubilee. Um, this was to be a blessing to the Israelites, to them as a community. So I have to give this background or this context because each one of the tribes were given an allotment of land. As they would go into the promised land, the tribe of Reuben would get an allotment of land. The tribe of Judah would get an allotment of land. Each tribe would have an allotment of land and it would carry on that way. So your granddaddy's 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 land now is where you live right now. But let's say for you, times got tough and you ran into some financial difficulties and trouble and you had to sell the family's land away to pay off debt. And so you had sold the land and you no longer were living in the land that had been given to you through your family. On this year of Jubilee, all debts would be released. And so you would get your land back. Um, the person living your land would give it back to you. Now that sounds wonderful for the person getting their land back. But what about the person that's giving it up? What's that like for them? Um, is it good for them? The person that got it and now they got to give it back because it's the year of Jubilee. Um, our culture today is messed up. If there was such a thing, a year of Jubilee, a year where all your credit debt was gone, mortgages, house you know, notes, car notes, everything like that. You know what happened in our culture. On that 49th year, what do people be doing? Tearing it up. Everything they could charge. They'd be getting more and more and more stuff. And so know that that's not the heart of what God's doing here. God's heart is not that they would become greedy and reckless and irresponsible. God's heart is that people wouldn't lose would have been a lot to them, that they wouldn't lose an inheritance because they came upon rough times. And then the person giving it back to you is also an Israelite. So it wasn't like they were dealing with outsiders, non-believers. These are as a group on the year of Jubilee, you know, because of what God's done for us. Remember, it's on the day of atonement that this trumpet blows. That's a big deal for the Jew, the day of atonement. That's the day that your sins get forgiven. That's the day where an animal is being taken into the Holy of Holies. The blood is being sprinkled in the Holy of Holies one time a year. It's at that time that your sins are being dealt with. God said that day, that's when this is going to go down. And I want you to forgive debts. You're going to forgive debts. If you have, you're going to forgive debts. And if you have debt, debts are going to be forgiven and you might have both things going on. What's the part behind the year of Jubilee? Uh, what's God's intention for them? Uh, one, I believe is that there would be forgiveness of debts. And being that we have a God that's forgiven so much us, God, I want you guys to forgive debts. I want you to let them go. Um, again, I don't believe this time of year is a struggle for the person that has a lot of debt. Who's it going to be a struggle for? The person that came up when everybody was broke. You can't pay your rent. I'll get that. I'll give you half what it costs anyway. Give it to me. And I bought that off of you and I bought that off. That person, the person that has, for them when the year of Jubilee comes, it's like, I got to give it back. But they know this going in. They know up front. Um, we won't go in great detail, but if you read the last part, verses 15, 16, and 17, what it's saying is when you buy a property, uh, they're measuring out 
based on how many years between when you buy it to the year of Jubilee. The further away from Jubilee, obviously, the more you're going to pay. If you buy land just a couple years before the year of Jubilee, well, you're going to get it pretty cheap because in two years, there's a chance it may go back anyway. So, you know, that factored into how much you paid for it when you bought it. So everybody went in eyes wide open. Nobody bought a property and then got bamboozled. And, you know, 10 years later, what? I didn't know this was going back. Everybody understood what was going on. This land belongs to this guy and his family, and it's going to end up going back. But for right now, I'll take it. Um, because for the 10 years that you had that land, you could work the land. You could plow it. You could harvest it. You could benefit from it over that period of time. So it wasn't that it was not beneficial to the person that had to give it back you know, before they did. So the year of Jubilee, God said, I want there to be a time where debts are forgiven every 50 years. Uh, people are let off the hook for whatever they might have owed. And it's a celebration. Just imagine if in our church, I don't even know everybody's financial situation, but I'm sure we got folk in some debt. So just imagine that at our church, just our church, just our little group of folks. Next Sunday, everybody at our church, all your debts are forgiven. Some of y'all, you wouldn't get home before you went and got some more debt. You know, you'll be right back. Up. Oh, you'd be checking your credit rating on the way out the door. But I mean, imagine the elation for especially for those that are in great bondage, have great debt. The freedom and the liberty of just it's all they ain't going to call me no more. They're not going to be calling it. You're not going to check your cell phone for them funny numbers. You know, um, you just be free of all debt. It'd be a great relief. Um, it'd just be, you know, man, we're delivered. Whew, you know, the Lord took it all away. Praise God for the jubilee, you know. And God established that for Israel. Again, this is the idea. There was a community there. And God said it's a bigger deal for him that as a community, we'll all be debt free. Every 50 years, we hit a reset button. No debt. And if that means that you release someone of their debt, that you have their land, but you got to give it back, then if it costs you to give him back his land for everybody to go out of debt, then that's what it's going to be. And here is, I believe, a spiritual lesson in that, because in a sense, we can hold people. There may be people in this room right now that somebody owe you something. There might be money. Um, there might be something else that you're hanging over someone's head that you haven't released them. You haven't let them off the hook for it. And people live under bondage many times to that. Um, there are people that just live under bondage to the fact that you haven't forgiven them or that, you know, it may be that you hold them accountable for it. Or you call them on it or you, you're on them about it or whatever. Or it may just be that, you know, something that you haven't forgiven someone. So they know they're unforgiven. They know it because you don't talk to them. They know it because you don't answer their calls. They know it because you don't engage them. You don't interact with them. They know that they're unforgiven by you and they live under that. Anybody here that's ever wanted to be forgiven that received forgiveness knows that it's a great feeling to know that someone's okay, I'm, I'm forgiven. Whatever was there is gone. You know, it's been, I've been relieved of whatever it was. If you've ever been forgiven a debt, you know, that's a great feeling. In the past, I've owed things and then had, you know, someone say, hey, just don't worry about it. Whew. For real? I mean, like, really don't worry about it or don't worry about it. Like, don't ever come see me again. Like, wait, don't worry about it. I've been forgiven debt before and that's a great feeling. Because, you know, until you people, you know, you got to pay it. It's on top of you, like trying to scratch up coins and pennies and nickels and dimes to pay it and it's gone. Um, but even more forgiveness and something that God does for you and me. Right. If you understand God rightly, we're never living under his heaviness. We all understand, I believe, that we can be forgiven by the Lord. Uh, we know he died for us. We know he loves us. 
We know if we repent, we know we confess that he'll forgive. We know we can come to him and be forgiven and released. Most of us know that. And so God keeps us in this position where we can be right with him whenever we want. We can be cleansed when we want. We're as close to the Lord as we want to be because he's not holding us back. You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Thanks for tuning in. Leviticus is often a book that gets overlooked and misjudged. Though it seems to be full of meaningless and insignificant rules, nothing can be further from the truth. All of Scripture is so important to understanding not only your faith, but also the heart of God. When God created the Ten Commandments, they weren't meant to control. They were meant to help guide. God desires for all His children to understand that life in Him can be full and rich. And that's all God wants for you too. But He won't force you to live in Him or live by His guidance. You get to choose it. What a gift! If you're looking to dive deeper into Leviticus or other scriptures, we have a helpful Bible reading plan on our website. This can be a useful guide to help you explore the Word of God on a daily basis. Look on our website, CalvaryInglewood.org. Thank you for tuning in today to A Transforming Word. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through the book of Leviticus. But before we go, we'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider supporting this ministry financially. Any amount is appreciated. These teachings are broadcast on the radio and help spread the good news of the gospel. That's a powerful thing. If you'd like to find out more about how to support A Transforming Word, go to CalvaryInglewood.org or donate through our app. We're so thankful for your support and more than anything. We hope this ministry has been and continues to be a blessing to you. We look forward to you joining Pastor Bill again next time, right here on A Transforming Word.